anticipating it. We're going to be starting back tomorrow. Uh, so it's exciting. Uh, I think it's been an absolute blessing. And I know from what many people have said in the time that I've been here that uh, it has been a blessing, the respect that people have given the time of leave that she's had. Uh, to give her a space and respect that this is a different season at that moment. So I just want to pass that on and um, just value uh, the role that each one has played in allowing her to not just have maternity leave in, 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 um, in spending time as family, but for her to respect the space that that's needed. So I so just want to share that anyway. Um, so it's exciting she's going to start back uh, tomorrow. We're going to start a new series next week in Galatians. And, and you'll get to see her lovely smiling face up here preaching the first week of that series. I'm going to be making my Siege debut next week, so I'm excited for that as well. Hopefully the kids will leave Seeds still smiling afterwards. So, <laughs> two weeks ago, Lynette brought uh, God's Word for us because we had brunch church last week, and, and she helped us uh, bringing our attention to someone who perhaps otherwise we often looked over or missed and looked at the story of Hagar and it became clear that God, our God, is a God who hears, who sees and who speaks. So to finish this week, we're going to again look at perhaps uh, some, some part of the Bible that, that might be glossed over or looked over sometimes. To look at somebody who is just like us. God loved this person the same as he loves us. We're going to be taking a look at a few of the kings that came in Israel. And some of them had different legacies. They remembered very differently because of the choices that they made. Uh, but no matter what their choices were, no matter what difference in a positive or a negative light that they had on the people of their nation or the people and nations around them, we see and we understand God is unwavering. Despite the differences of choices and consequences, God doesn't change. So he is unwavering. The nature of God won't change in what we see. Both the books of Kings and Chronicles, it gives us this picture. When we go reading through them, we're faced with tough questions. We're faced with the idea of how does our understanding of God fit in with what goes on in these stories? I think it's particularly relevant for us because sometimes when we have our understanding of God and we see what's happening in the world around us, sometimes it doesn't seem compatible. And unfortunately, every single day, somewhere I'm sure in this city, someone is faced with that, that dilemma. And often, God's the one that gets the flip as opposed to the way they see things. Instead of thinking perhaps there's a different way to understand what's going on, they go, nah, God must have been there. So that's why it's important for us to look at some bodies like this in the Bible who face or who are part of setting up some of these difficult questions. First and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, they provide accounts 
of the kingship of Israel. All the way from, uh, from David until the exile of Israel. Of course, we have the split of Israel in there, where they split into the northern and the southern kingdoms. And we're going to be looking at a few of the kings from the southern kingdom uh, today. As you read through these accounts, whether it's in Chronicles or whether it's in Kings, time and time again, there's a repeated phrase that comes up. And they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Comes up time and time again. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. For instance, there's this king called Manasseh. So he, he ruled in Judah, the southern of the two kingdoms. Now Manasseh, it says, undid all the good works of his father. So Manasseh's father had, had set up uh, the, the, um, the kingdom of Judah and put all these good things in place. And then Manasseh, when it's his turn, he does it. So, so that sets a bit of a certain way. He doesn't just follow the, the, the sins of the past, but he actually sets uh, blazes a new trail into the sins. Uh, so uh, it says in, in, uh, in the book there, Manasseh undid the good works of his father. It says he erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole. He worshipped the starry hosts, practiced sorcery, consulted mediums, and even sacrificed his own son in fire. His rule was for 55 years. This guy, this leader of God's people, leading them in the most despicable way. So, so the, the kingdom of Judah had been living in this, this prosperous time with good reign, and then he takes the whole kingdom off in the wrong direction. For 55 years. It says that he, well, they, uh, he did evil in God's eyes. The most despicable things. How did God let this guy rule for 55 years? It's a fair question. It's a question that's reasonable to come to mind. How did God let him, who's taken him off track, to leave for 55 years? After Manasseh, his son Amon comes along. Now he was a chip off the old block, okay? He was only 22 years when he, uh, old when he became king. He, uh, we don't read a whole lot about him, to be honest. He doesn't last very long. He ends up being a bit of a coup within the, uh, within the palace and they get rid of him. He only lasts two years. But what it does tell us that he walked in the ways of his father and worshipped other gods. And of course, it again says, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So does God not care? You know, this Manasseh comes along and sets him on the wrong path and then his son just continues down the same path. God is a master planner. What I mean is, God is prepared. But it's pretty hard for us to see how, how do we see him as prepared here? How do we even know what this means that God is prepared? Me? I'm not always prepared. I'll be honest. The early stages of my parenting of, of Ruben, our, our eldest, 
I, uh, I have discovered that, that I'm not always prepared. And when it comes to giving my son the choices, I only do that when I'm prepared for the outcome of any of the choices involved. Ruby, what would you like to drink? Well, no, no, sorry. You actually, you're only too rich. You don't have the, you don't have the run of the mill. You don't have all the choices that you want. I'm not always prepared. I'm not willing to see those consequences all run out. And I realise as a parent, and as he gets older, I'm going to be giving him more choices. I should be giving him more choices. We'll see. Um, and it's going to get to the point where I'm going to have to take all my hands off and trust that he knows I love him so much that I'm going to give him not just uh, the choice, but he's going to get to come and figure out what he wants to choose himself. I'm prepared, I have to be prepared that I get to the point where he'll know my love so much that even when he doesn't have to, he will start, still come running into my arms. It is the same with God. God is prepared to share in true love with us by allowing us to stand on our own two feet so that we might choose ourselves to run into his loving arms. Even after our 30-second mistake, even after Manasseh and the things that he did, even after Amon, God is still prepared. So after Manasseh and Amon, we come to the guy we're going to focus on this morning. Amon's son, Josiah. It says at the start of 2 Kings 22 that Josiah was only eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidah, daughter of Dada. She was, the, uh, she was from Lozcaf. He did what was right in the, Lord, uh, in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father, his forefather, that is, David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Now, if we limit our perspective of God to each of the individual stories through the books of Kings and Chronicles, then, then we're, we're limiting the understanding that we have of God. When we understand God's moving through King Josiah as a part of a bigger narrative, then we see that God is prepared for wrongs to be righted. Despite his upbringing, despite the fact that his dad was who he was, despite the practices of his society that he would have been surrounded by, God allowed Josiah the same opportunity to bring change that Manasseh had. Josiah was offered the same opportunity for change that Amon had. So God is unwavering in his preparedness. The outcome is different because of the choices of the people involved. In Chronicles 34, verse 3, it says this about Josiah. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, of the Asherah poles, carved idols and cast images. Under his direction, the altars of the, the, the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars 
that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles, the islands, and the images. These he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who sacrificed to them. It also says in 2 Kings 22, verses 3 to 7, it explains how Josiah also went about seeing that the temple of the Lord would be restored and ensured that the money being given to the temple would be going to the laborers to make sure that the temple would reach the glory that God had for it. Now I think to, due to Judah's unfaithfulness alone, God could have wiped them from the face of the earth. He had every right to. But God was prepared to see the next generation reform their ways. It's easy for us to swallow uh, in hindsight because we know what Josiah ended up bringing about and what God did through him. And we even see that Josiah is regarded as one of the best kings that the, uh, the kingdom of Judah ever had. But what if we hadn't gotten to King Josiah yet? What if we're sitting without the understanding of hindsight? Manasseh was allowed to reign for 55 years doing atrocious things. It's easy for us to perhaps throw some stones at him and be like, oh, this guy, I'm going to knock him down a bit. I would never be as bad as that. But the great thing is that we see just as God was prepared to see wrongs be righted, just as he's prepared to see uh, Manasseh have an opportunity for change, although he didn't take it. We see that God is forgiving. Just as God gives the opportunity for Manasseh, as God is prepared to forgive him, to see things changed, this guy, how much more willing is he to see us change? How much more willing is he to give us forgiveness? Of course, the irony is he is just as willing to forgive Manasseh through every one of those 55 years, to forgive Amon, to forgive Josiah, to forgive somebody like us as well. Clean slate. That's what we talk about when, when somebody's done something wrong and they want to get back in a good box, put good books in, and they want the slate to be wiped clean. Clean slate comes from the Latin tabula rasa, which was the philosophy that people are born with no inbuilt mental content. So that once you come into the world, it's starting afresh. There's nothing in there, and all is just, everything's new for you. This idea also feeds into the Roman tabula, which refers to the notes that they would make. They would have folded wooden, wooden tablets where the inside surfaces uh, were, were taken down and the outside surface was taken up. And so then they would put a wax on the inside surface. So they could, they could etch their notes into this, this tablet and then once they were finished, whether it's full or they needed to do something uh, to, to do something new, they could either etch it out 
or they could heat up the tablet. And as they heat up the tablet, that wax would slowly dissolve a bit and those etchings would be filled in to the point where it was just back to new. And you could smooth it over. The past would be erased. There would be no signs of what was before. A clean slate. God forgives. And that is who he is. He erases memory of our mistakes when we are willing to accept his forgiveness. He doesn't remember them anymore. Unlike what we do, sometimes we, when something comes up and we go, oh, I remember how I did this. That's not God. There's not an archive that he goes back to. Forgiveness is wiping and making a clean slate. It is not remembered again. He doesn't know what we're talking about. Now, among all the changes that Josiah was getting done, Hilkiah the priest makes a discovery. It says this. He said to Shaphan, enjoy these names because I know all of them. He said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan, who read it. Then Shaphan, the secretary, went to the king and reported it to him. Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And then Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. I'm just going to pause there. We're reminded here that God is prepared to lead. The majority of scholars think that the book of the law that's referred to here is the entire book of Deuteronomy, or at least a fair portion of it. The book of Deuteronomy tells the story of the Israelite people as, uh, as they get to the edge of the promised land that God has been leading to them. And just as they have a chance to step in, they doubt. And they have unfaithfulness. And due to their unfaithfulness, the book of Deuteronomy shows us the result as they wander in the wilderness for a generation until the next generation is willing to take up what God has for them. And so for, for Josiah here, it is read to him and he hears of the greater unfaithfulness that Israel has shown in the past. As the psalmist writes, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my power. God leads us with his word. God's word illuminates truth and it leads us in the way that we should go. Because God is full of grace. God is forgiving and God is full of grace. Grace is being given what we don't deserve. Now by no means did these people deserve to find God's word. Let alone even to be called his people anymore. But nor do we, in our sin, what we do, deserve to ever find ourselves in the holy presence of our God and to receive 
His grace as well. But God has made it that righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The champions of the doctrine of grace throughout our history first have been Paul, and then we see Martin Luther. They were both surrounded by institutions that tried to put on a yoke of, you need to do more. You need to work for salvation. This is the list you must do. But they helped guide and direct people. No, faith comes through grace. God is unwavering. God is full of grace. And he's always willing to give it to us. Just like that book of the law that was just sitting around waiting for someone to find it, so is the grace of God. Jesus has already come. Jesus has already died and rose again for our sins. To pay the ransom so that we don't have to try and pay for it because how could we in our sinful state? Jesus has already paid the ransom for us in his supernatural way. Jesus reached to the beginning of time. Such is his grace for us. And included all those who came before him. He didn't just come for his generation. And he reached with his other arm on that cross all the way until the time he returns again. And he brings all the people into his arms. And so, just like with that book of the law, God's grace is just sitting there waiting for us as well. To just open it up like a gift, waiting for us. While we may not deserve it, God gives gives that to us through grace. Now, if grace was being given what we don't deserve, then mercy is God holding back what we do deserve. And he does that because he's prepared always for our repentance. And we see that God is merciful. Repentance, it's not easy. It takes a bit of humility. And just like with those, those tablets, whether it's heating up that wax and getting uncomfortable, whether it's scraping back, it's not easy and sometimes it even hurts. We prefer to make little adjustments in our life here and there. But for us to repent, we have to be willing in our actions that are wrong, in, in our disbelief and our wrong beliefs, to go from one direction to turn around and walk towards Christ instead. It's not about little adjustments, oh, I'll just do this and that'll be alright and that'll be enough. No, it's about completely turning around. To stop our actions of our past. To make a commitment to God for a new. 
So what does Josiah do when he is led to God's word and when it's read out to him? What does he do? It says, verse 11 onwards, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. And it says, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan and Isaiah went to speak to the prophet Hannah, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tikvah, the son of Hahas, the keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. She said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people, according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made. My anger will burn against them, uh, burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring in this place. We see the truth in God's word. Not only did, uh, did we see a picture of God's grace in Josiah hearing God's word, but we see that as he heard his word through his actions, even from a young man, he had already started to make those changes that repentance sees. He had already gone about, it's not just making little adjustments, but completely reforming the ways of himself and his people. We see here, God sees his repentance and his heart as he wept, as he tore his robes. He didn't flee to get out of the way of the impending doom. He also didn't stand there and go, this wasn't anger. This was somebody else's fault. But he mourned for the people of God as a whole. God hears his cry. He would set aside Josiah so that he would pass from the disaster that was coming and he would be buried in peace. James 2 verse 13 explains to us simply mercy triumphs over judgment. Josiah was the one who came and bore himself before God 
and repented. And Josiah was afforded that mercy. We just have to be willing to seek it. Some people's preeminent image of God is as judge, as a ruthless and uncompromising being. But here we understand that in who God is, mercy triumphs over judgment. It makes me think of the child who's been warned not to do something in their home, has done it outside of the eyes and purvey of, of, of their father, and something breaks. And so instead of opening up because, oh, what, what's my father going to say? They actually go and hide and they, and they run outside and they, they hide in the elements so they can't be found. They miss their meals. They battle the weather conditions and the cold of night to eventually be found by the father who's searching for them, who brings them in, who's showing concern and cares for them. It says, why didn't you just come and, and speak to me? Of course the child says, well, you told me not to do this and I was afraid what you are going to do and of the consequences of my actions. But the father just says, don't you know that I care so much more for you than the consequences of those actions? Don't you know that you are far more important than to me? Sure, there may be consequences, but it's so much more important that you would come to me. My mercy triumphs over my judgment. Sometimes we get so focused on the things that we've done and what they deserve that we forget that God's love for us is far greater than the mistakes that we've made. God's mercy is far more reaching than our memory goes back to the things that we haven't let go of. Sometimes we are like Josiah. When we've done the crime, we've, we've pulled ourselves apart in guilt and we hear God's loving call for us to come back to Him and we do it. But we might be unlike in Josiah, where we consider, where we still remember. And we know that God's mercy will keep us safe from the consequences. But we still hold that guilt. We still walk with that burden. Because strangely in ourselves, we think, we think, you know what, I know God's not going to punish me for this because I've come to Him. But I know what I've done. I know what my actions deserve and I shouldn't feel as though as I can hold my head up high. I feel like I should be still sneaking around. Sure, I might come to church, but, but I'm a sinner and I don't deserve this. And, and yes, I believe in God's saving grace, but I'm going to live in that yoke of punishment for myself. We do that sometimes. But God is unwavering. God's mercy continues. And He's always holding it there out for us. He's always holding that punishment for us.
from us. God didn't send Jesus to change your past. He sent him to change your future. Let Jesus set you free through his mercy from that punishment. This is just a pinch of who God is. It's just an inch of the goodness of God. God is forgiving. God is full of grace. God is merciful. But all of that is pointless if we don't respond to him. What good is forgiveness for us if we don't seek it? What good is grace if we don't receive it? What good is mercy if we choose judgment instead? For somebody's like us. We don't have a king setting the course for us. We have the choices ourselves. And so what will we choose? There is no time like the present. And that is why it's called the present. Because now is a present for each one of us. Now is our opportunity for where we haven't sought forgiveness. Now is our opportunity to be filled with grace. Now is our opportunity to throw off the shackles and to live in God's mercy. You know, in all my reading of, about Josiah, there was one verse which was more telling than any other. Second Chronicles 34 verse 3. It tells us of King Josiah's first milestone. And it's how we're going to finish our reflections this morning. It says, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. All the great things that Josiah led Judah in, all the changes it started in that moment. The Bible doesn't account for any other positive thing to Josiah's name until after this happens. All it takes to see your life changed. For any of these things to be dwelling in you is for you to see God. Let's find His forgiveness, grace and mercy. And so much more as we pray together now. God, we come to you with arms. Father, not to take from you. Not to come in wanting for what we'll receive. But God, we come with open arms to see who you are. To know who you are. To understand who you are. And God, for you to have your way in our lives. Lord, for us to seek after the Father of David. 
of the God of Josiah, the same God of Manasseh, the God of Elijah, of Abraham, of Jesus, of Paul. Lord, we come before you. Breathe into us, Lord, your forgiveness. And God, may we say sorry and receive it. Lord, lead us in ways of grace. Lord, so that we may be prepared to accept the thing that we don't deserve. And God, we would be prepared to offer that grace to others as well. And Lord, for those of us, God, who are still carrying that burden with us, Lord, help us lay it at your feet. Help us throw it off. Help us not live in our own judgment from the past, but God, to be free to walk in the mercies of Jesus every single day of our lives. Seek after you every day. Understand you and have you grow in our lives. To your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Charlie, for that word. And uh, speak to say we can come here knowing that grace knowing that mercy of God and knowing that freedom that we have um, in that relationship we have with God. And that's something we can praise God for. We can praise Him for how He's lifted us up out of that, those depths and given us a new life on that strong, solid rock that He is. So let's praise Him now as we finish up our service. Praise is the offering. Let us come and sing for joy. Amen.